1: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The following is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: This episode contains depictions of drug use and mild violence.
2: Jax was dead I stripped her of her skin suit The blood from her shattered nose dribbled through the lines in her face It pooled in the sutured wound down her cheek Bruising and fingertip contusions on her throat told the story of her death As I pulled one of her arms out of the suit I glimpsed a name and date tattooed on her shoulder I tried to block it out to banish it to the uncertainty of peripheral vision. But the math was too easy. Ramifications too tragic, even with someone like her. My hands trembled as I pulled the last leg free. I longed for a shot of basilisk to wash it all away. The fit wasn't perfect, but the suit would work. I grabbed her comm unit and left the spent squid gun where it lay. One of the twin plexiglass pods had already been emptied, by Hoffman, I imagined. I checked the other pod and expected to find a Udex pressure suit inside, or something like Thetis's getup. But this was even more alien, more alive. It looked like a cross between a suit of samurai armor and a mollusk, open wide to receive a humanoid form. The material looked neither solid nor liquid, the outer surface dark and covered with shell like bumps and whorls. The pink, spongy interior left little doubt of its organic nature. I knew what it was. Marsh had mentioned Buchlin's disappearance in a portion of the proteus. This was the Triton Biotechni, repurposed as a pressure suit. It made sense. No human technology would enable a seafloor walk this deep down. Not for landsfolk, anyway. Numerous fears tumbled through my mind. How was it activated? Would it fit me? Was it safe? But I didn't have time. It was this or nothing. The embrace of a living pressure suit, or certain death in the tunnels beneath Atlas. I slid open the plexiglass and watched tiny tube feet and polyps rise up from the inner meat of the suit, as if reaching for my body. I took a deep breath, turned, and backed into its embrace. The appendages crawled over me, pulling the suit into position. The proteus grew around my body, enclosing me like an iron maiden of amorphous flesh, I realized the Tritons must have used something similar to bring me down. It felt. familiar. It hurt, but for only a moment. The suit seemed to shift and adjust to my size and shape, even my injuries. It hardened around me. I felt soft pressure against my nose and mouth, then I was breathing again. Everything went dark for a moment, then swelled back into existence. I don't know if I stared through transparent tissue or if the proteus connected with my mind somehow, but I looked down at my hands, now seamless gauntlets of crustacean armor. I stepped out of the pod. I grabbed the wheel of the airlock and gave it a turn, then another. I glanced one last time down the tunnel for sign of Thetis or Triton pursuers, but there was only Jax's crumpled corpse, her daughter's name gleaming back at me in the harsh light. I threw open the hatch and jumped down the well of depressurized water. The hatch closed after me, and the chamber flooded. It pressurized in less than a minute. The suit didn't so much as groan.
0: We can't live in a sand castle. What are we gonna do when the tide comes in?
1: It's okay, Sally. I built another sand castle and sat the first one. <laughs> oh, oh, Salty. That's not how living on the surface works. The seawater keeps rising. Because of climate change? <laughs> no, Suey. That's a fear mongering by anti energy obstructionists. Oh, so you. You don't want to live in the castle? I need to live anywhere where it's dry, but this is the perfect place for you. You love salt water. I do. And we can still be friends. Yay! uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's...
2: (laughs) That's...
1: It's...
0: My name is Tabitha Vale, and I'm leaving this recording on a dead man's switch for release on... I want there to be evidence of where I went and why I did it. I've arranged passage to Atlas Station, the Udex Deep Grid Station. There's a high probability I'll wind up in custody, and I'm uncertain what steps they might take to silence the press. There's a story there that needs to be told you're listening to this you're aware of my journalistic focus what it means to be recombined or to be landsfolk or on whichever side of all of the other lines in the sand we use to turn human against human on what continues to divide us in a time when connection might just be enough to save us and on the rare corners of society where we actually foster connection atlas is one of those places i've obtained passage aboard a cargo sub and i have limited arrangements on atlas i'm depowering my commune for the journey. Hopefully this message will prove unnecessary. Thank you for believing in me and in a better world.
2: I emerged into absolute darkness, the very darkness I realized that covers most of the earth. Eternal midnight is the true norm on our planet, interrupted by occasional sunlit shallows and the rise of continents. The surface is but a fraction. I took a step into the unknown and felt rock and mud slide beneath my feet. Panic shattered through me. And then a lamp bloomed to life somewhere above my head, casting a meager sphere of bioillumination in the thick, gloomy waters. The glow was enough to reveal the airlock hatch set in the jagged outcropping above my head, as well as the small cliff upon which I stood. Utter emptiness yawned beyond. The trench plummeting, hadal depths. I backed away from the brink, my limbs moving as if in jelly. I turned toward the adjacent cliffside and noticed first one reflector-topped stake, then another, marking the path of ascension, a narrow, snaking trail up the side of the great trench. I turned and followed. Visibility was limited, The bioluminescence revealed no more than three stakes at a time. I had no way of telling how far ahead Hoffman had gotten, or how far up I had to climb to reach the plateau. So I plodded along, the suit seeming to augment my steps just enough to prevent outright exhaustion. At times, I caught movement out beyond the orb light and panicked till I realized that pursuers would not be so shy. If they knew where I was, then they'd simply take me. More likely it was some animal of the deep intrigued by the light. I don't know how long I climbed. Occasionally my feet slipped on the rocks and mud, but each time I avoided the spill. Finally, I saw the faint aura of the cliffs above me It couldn't be more than a ten-minute climb. I paused and stared off once more into the vastness of the trench, one of the many deep-sea gouges that the Tritons called home. The darkness seemed to move, and at first I suspected hallucination. I'd never gone this long without the drug. But then... I glimpsed the faint tinkle of bioluminescence. A writhing wall of viscous agglutinations moved within my light, a tapestry of coiling tentacles that continually formed and dissolved as it moved through the void. It was the Proteus, or at least some massive portion of it, en route to or returning from its toil. I couldn't guess at its size. I quickly turned to redouble my efforts, lest it somehow alert its masters to my whereabouts. I climbed until the plateau opened up before me. There squatted the vibrant blur of Atlas Station and its surrounding spill of infrastructure, the squalid desolation of Udex. I marked the gleam of departing subs, mostly larger crew transports, evacuation protocol. The reflector stakes marked a path to the nearest airlock, so I slogged on through the mud and gravel, toward the abattoir that awaited me in those haunted halls.
0: The Second Oil Age was
1: produced by Robert Lamb, Alex Williams, Lauren Vogelbaum, and Josh Thane. This episode featured Angel Masters as Sinov Pawn, Lauren Vogelbaum as Tabitha Vale, and Jonathan Strickland as Salty Squid. Supporting voice work by Gina Rakiki. Intro, outro, and supporting music created by the Weirding Module. Learn more at module1485.bandcamp.com.